What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Hannah here with the Healthy Charleston Podcast with another episode today of the Nate and Hannah Show, where we complain and we rant and we talk about research and our biases. But really, today we're starting a new segment, Shit My Patient Has Been Told, which should be pretty entertaining but also terrifying. We discuss the myth of text neck and posture relating to pain, and we're also talking about some really cool made-to-move patient success stories. We definitely need to talk more about the awesome things that are happening here. If you're dealing with pain, you're sick of losing, sick of feeling this way and looking for more, if you're looking to thrive instead of survive, check out made-to-move online and on Instagram. Everyone, thanks for listening. Please subscribe so we can continue to get this content out there. Give us a review, follow us on Instagram, slide in our DMs, and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I think this is episode four? Three? I don't know. I think so, right? Four, three, four, or five of the Nate and Hannah series. We are back today, hoping to make this even more of a regular thing, mostly because we have a lot to talk about and a lot to complain about. We want to start these now by talking about some patient success stories, and then that will probably lead us into our new favorite segment, Shit My Patient Has Been Told. After that, we'll definitely be talking about some research, and then we obviously have to talk about Matt Frazier and CrossFit, because that stuff is really cool. Welcome, Nate. Hello, Hannah. (laughs) Haven't heard your voice yet? Yeah. Okay, so... Patient success story, the first one, I'll go first. So I posted about him, well, I'll say yesterday, but this podcast will be posted, I don't really know. So I posted about him on Instagram recently. Um, His name is John Cotter, I can say that because he's on Instagram. And probably the coolest like start to finish patient that I've ever had because he came in, he moved here this year, a lot of life changes. He had been dealing with chronic pain for years. He's young. You can see that. He used to play baseball in college. He used to be known as the active guy. He loves lifting, especially back squats. And a lot of things led to him not being able to do anything. And he came to us and he was like, I haven't been able to run. I sometimes can barely walk. I can't play guitar anymore, which is important for his job because my shoulders hurt, sitting hurts, everything hurts. And he had been through this rabbit hole of some surgeries, a lot of PT, some online programs, and he was just ready to change his life. 
And it was one of those evals that was honestly kind of daunting because chronic pain is just daunting. And you could tell that, like, this kid had been through a lot and he'd also been told a lot of things that probably weren't true and he was afraid of a lot of things. But he was also really willing to work with us and, like, trust us and commit. And I think that's what helped him the most. And... On the first day, I remember being like, oh gosh, like where do I start? And then I was like, it doesn't need to be fancy. Like the things that we did, like rear foot elevated split squats, started working on his overhead range of motion, bench press, pull-ups, like everything that he has started doing and then now still doing was simply strength training. And I think that's why it was so cool for me because it wasn't fancy and I think as PTs we always try to make it fancy. Yeah, we try and find secret exercises that like like bird dogs to get your multifidus and Yeah, stuff. and yeah. we we try to make it so like specific when we have this like amazing thing in front of us that we can use and like he just needed to find a level where he could start moving his body that he felt comfortable and we just needed to increase it from there and I put him in charge of a lot of things and I would say like do you want to do this weight or do you want to do this weight today we can do this range of motion or we can stop here or we can do full and so I let like putting the power back in his hands so that he could explore all the things that like he was able to do and how it felt and also with the reassurance from me like knowing what we know about chronic pain tissue healing times acute injuries surgeries all of that when he came to me nothing was still healing. Like everything was healed. It was a sensitivity issue. His system, his alarm was extremely sensitive. And a lot of things were weak. He had also lost a lot of muscle mass because he hadn't been able to move. Mm -hmm. And like reassurance, I think is a huge part of why people come to PT, especially with chronic pain, of me telling them it is okay to move your body in this way. We will find a level that is tolerable we will work with that and then go from there. And even when he did have like some shoulder tightness or some shoulder pain that would pop up, he would tell me, I just did some of the exercises and then I felt a lot better. And it was like the mindset shift that he had, I think was bigger than the the PRs that he had because now when he gets any of that discomfort, he doesn't turn it into like, oh, something is really wrong with me. He turns it into, I have control over this. I'm going to move and explore and I know I will feel better from it. So can we, can we dig a little in? So like what kind of surgeries had he had? Um, if you, if you can say hernia. Okay. Yeah. Both, both okay. hips, both sides. Um, and from golf and oh, like wow. every time okay. he would play golf, then like he was unable to play golf now because every time he would play, it would hurt. Mm-hmm. So he had like pretty intense hip flexor pain. His biggest complaints were shoulder pain and hip flexor pain. And the hip flexor pain was preventing him from running, used to prevent him from walking, definitely from playing golf. And then the shoulder pain was like sitting at his desk a lot because so he started his new business. He's an audio engineer. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, he has something on his Instagram. He's like, I'm the person that makes the song radio ready. But, like, playing guitar for a while, like, that was almost a, that was a factor that we had to ramp up. Because, like, mm-hmm. five minutes he may be okay, but ten minutes, like, he was not okay. Okay. So, so, so like, he, he had the hernias, he had them repaired, and then 
he developed fear of like, hey, my body has broken doing these things that I like to do. And so like he got this fear in him. And was he like told at any point, like, don't do these things or like, how do you develop? He was told that he had complex regional pain syndrome in both arms. Did he? No. Like he, and he told me, he was like, I was told that I had this, but I never really thought that I had it. I didn't really have any of those like symptoms. But he did start to have, like, numbness and tingling down, I want to say one arm, I can look at mm-hmm. it, but maybe both arms. But he never had any skin changes, like, never had any, like, trophic changes. His hands, I don't even think, were hurting. Yeah. So, it was... so for people who don't know what CRPS is, chronic regional pain syndrome, basically your autonomic nervous system on one of your limbs goes haywire and so like your blood flow changes and your nerve sensitivity changes and like your skin color will change and you'll lose hair um weird things will happen just with your limb and it can become sensitive to the point where like a light breeze brushing across your skin feels like someone's setting you on fire um like very 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 painful uh a lot of the time the limb becomes unusable um and there are like pretty intensive physical therapy aspects you can do to, mm-hmm. to help out with that and stuff. But it's like, this is one of the most painful, um, things that a human being can experience is CRPS when it's bad. Right. And so someone told him this mm. and then he's like terrified. Right. So he's already had, had injuries and surgery to repair things. And so he's like, okay, my, my midsection's weak. I might hurt myself again. And then someone tells him, Hey, you have tingling in your hands. This is CRPS. And, so so now he's like terrified of, of that too, right? Because he probably got on the internet and Googled it. And it's, and, and I don't know the exact like story. My nervous here, system goes haywire. Like if you see that, yeah. you're like, oh no, like that's terrifying. Yeah. Like you read about CRPS on the internet and you're like, wow, I do not want this and I'm going to do anything I can to avoid it, which is going to be probably doing nothing. You know, like I don't want to provoke any sort of pain or anything. Mm-hmm. So it, it puts a lot of fear of movement and then you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, been into made to move or just into pain science, like that fear literally increases the pain you feel. And, and that constant awareness, um, of like you thinking you could damage yourself is, is, is damaging by itself. So Um, what he was told, so a little bit more into his history. So he had shoulder pain since he was 13, 14. He was also, he was a pitcher. Mm -hmm. Um, he went to PT when he was like 17 ish for a year or two. Which already says, like, why are we still going to PT? I'm not sure what they're doing. Yeah, two years. And they were telling him that it was structural misalignment caused by muscle imbalances. In his shoulders? He had two hernia surgeries on one side. And then he, like, he would go through a pattern of, I think, what is really common of, like, I get a little bit better, so I go back to activity, and then it gets worse. And then I get a little bit better, I go back, and it gets worse. And then he had another surgery... And it just never got to the point where he was, I don't even want to say fully ready, but it was like he couldn't maintain anything. And then it got to the point where it was like, well, obviously these things are hurting me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then someone told him he had CRPS, but he never really yeah. thought that. Okay. And then he took a lot of it into his own hands and he started to change his diet. He changed his lifestyle. And interestingly enough... And I feel like we have a, a bias against the, the Move You program. Mm-hmm. So we actually started that because this was during COVID. He needed something online and he needed something like consistent. So they, apparently they have a program that's like get out of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And he really liked it. He just wanted something in person. And he also felt like they made him overanalyze things even more because they're very alignment 
kind of fear-mongering, you should be doing it this way or it's wrong. And he was like, I feel like I'm too in my head with these things and that's Mm -hmm. not what I need. So that did help him just start the movement. But there were days where he said he he couldn't move without having to, like, think about it. Mm -hmm. He was like, it's just like people all the time are like, I can't pick something up without feeling like I have to, like, prepare myself for it. Yeah. And it's crazy to us because it's such a common story and we know that it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you should be able to just move your body. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, like, set up, brace your core, inhale to, like, pick up your laundry basket. And if so, like, we should change that. Thoughtless, fearless movement, right? Unless you're, like, maxing out your deadlift, in which case maybe, maybe brace. But, like... Thoughtless, fearless movement. Yeah, like, just move your body. He also was told that his, uh... His hips were out of alignment. Yeah. So, man, there's a lot to dig into there. So, yeah, like, it's a lot. You got a question like, how are they how are they measuring alignment of the shoulders and the hips with their hands, right? This is physical therapy. So, how are they telling where the joint is with their hands? Like, I, I would strongly argue you can't. Um, what is normal alignment in the shoulders? Like, what, what alignment are we looking at? Like, the position of the glenohumeral joint? And, like, like there, there's no there's no way to measure it with their hands and if you take an image it's a single static image without movement and so that doesn't really tell you a lot either and we don't know what normal alignment is for any individual anyway so like there's already there's this this focus there of something that probably doesn't really matter a whole lot and now we're hyper focusing on that and we think if we fix that thing the pain will go away but there's no way to fix that thing because it's not a thing it's like the whole argument is invalid yeah. because of yeah. the foundation which it lies on is broken. Yeah, and we're basing treatment off of trying to fix the alignment when we don't even know what the alignment is or what normal alignment is and how to fix that in the first place. Or and if it, it even matters. And it doesn't, it matter. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. So, so he was at the point where like he couldn't... He was like rounding my shoulders hurt. So when he would sit at his desk, like that is a very efficient position to be in because mm-hmm. it also causes amount. When you're sitting upright, like that is an amount of load on your muscles. So to relax, sometimes you let your shoulders round forward, and we'll talk about that later. But because he was, he had such a history of shoulder pain, and he was afraid of this this position, he started becoming really intolerant to that position and anything that put him in that position. So that means anything that puts stress on his pec or biceps tendon, done. Mm-hmm. So bench pressing couldn't do that anymore. So then over time, someone who is very intolerant to something, then they stop doing it. Now we have the problem of now it is a very new stimulus to your nervous system. Now it is something that your body feels really weak and fearful in because you haven't had a lot of experience with it. You haven't had positive experiences with it. And you have told your brain and your body to be fearful of it. So he's doing amazing now. Um, He came in and he was actually like... I think we should do this for three months and like he told me and I was like okay three months once a week three months and now it's he's doing programming on his own he's trying to gain muscle back he's doing a great job eating a lot which is amazing he's running again he's not fearful to move he has like so much independence thoughtless again thoughtless fearless movement mm-hmm. PRing his back squat all the time he's deadlifting bench pressing Strict pressing, pulling, like do, just doing everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just been so cool because every session I was like, oh, like what cool thing do I need to do? And I was like, why am I trying to make this so cool when like this is cool enough? Mm-hmm. And these are the things that he wants to get back to doing. So why do I need to come up with like 
the transition yeah. when like this is the rehab. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I think too, like a big thing to point out is his self-efficacy. Like he had some coming in of like already he had decided to make a change and he was like, I can do this. I just need the resources to be able to do that. And then throughout your treatment, you did not take that away from him. Like you gave him more of that. Like you were saying, you let him pick the the weight they were doing, you were doing and you let him pick the choice between the movements and like you gave him a choice and he was probably able to internalize that and be like, Hey, I have the power to change my own body and to change my own pain. Um, and that's really important versus someone that like, if he had come in and you were like, okay, we're going to start with this exercise. Cause I think it's right. And mm-hmm. I think if you do anything else, you're going to aggravate your shoulder and like taking that, that locus of control away from the patient. And it's very easy to do that with like seemingly, uh, innocent intentions. Like you may not even be trying to do it, but the wrong language or the wrong approach can take that self-efficacy away from someone. And when, what we know from lots and lots of research at this point is that self-efficacy is really important for getting back out of pain and getting back to full function. Like the patient has to feel like they're in control. You have to feel like you're in control of your life to really completely recover. Cause that, that was the whole problem. He felt like yeah. he wasn't in control of his body yeah. anymore. And like to get back the, the control, that's what, that's why he did so well because he committed to it. And in the beginning in the first, I mean, there are a million things I could have given this man in the first session but I got him to choose. He was like, oh, this is this feels really good. Can I work on this more? Mm-hmm. And it's just shown, like, he was so ready. And he is, he has seen, I have, he has been, like, the most successful person, you know, from where he started to, like, where he is now. He's also, like, the happiest guy in the world. He's super happy, yeah. Yeah, so it's been really cool. I've, it's been, like, a, an honor, honestly, to be his PT. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Shout he rocks. All right. Cool. So I have a patient, not going to use her name, just didn't, um, just not on Instagram. So she basically came in and we're still in the process of treatment right now. Um, came in a few weeks ago and she grew up doing gymnastics, which if anybody has done gymnastics or been around gymnasts who have done it through their childhood, like it's intense, man. Um, a lot of, lot of injuries, very, very high volume, high frequency, like hours and hours a day of impact movements. And just like it's gymnastics can get, can be pretty crazy. Um, there's a belief that female gymnasts peak at like 14 to 16 years old, basically athletically. And so there's this rush to like get them Olympics ready if, if they're going to be at that point. Um, and that may or may not be true. I, I don't think it is, but there's not a lot of research showing otherwise. And the tradition of gymnastics is, is that right now. So Anyway, she had some some issues. Um, she had partially torn her left Achilles tendon at one point, and uh, she had actually, like, not through gymnastics, but had injured the um, cartilage in the back of her kneecap at one point, falling down. And she also, at one point, was doing... Uh, it's funny, because they're called shoulder dislocations, where you, like, have the bar, and you, like, kind of rotate backward mm-hmm. and forward, and she actually dislocated her shoulder. That's what those that. are called? I thought so. Or like pass-throughs. Pass-throughs? QVC pass-throughs, yeah, yeah. Shoulder dislocations? I, I, I learned them as shoulder dislocations, and she actually did that. Um, so she came in with basically the entire left side of her body hurt. and um, But like a lot of these things were a long time ago, like many years ago, right? So basically what, what had happened here is that like started CrossFit fairly recently. Left shoulder started to hurt um, with things like cleans and with snatches. Um, and it was on the way up. It wasn't being in the front rack. It wasn't pulling from the ground. It was the transition from like the hips up to the shoulders 
or with the snatch from the hips up to the to the top. And what what it turned out basically, and it was it was a pretty easy fix, but I feel pretty good about looking at her cleans um, and snatches, is that she was like separating out her lower body movement. She would like extend her hips and knees, and then like curl it up like almost Cuban prep Cuban like a curl muscle up. snatch yeah like a muscle snatch but it would like loop away so it was oh. she was externally rotating her shoulders to bring it up she was using a rotator cuff to bring it up which is pretty impressive that's hype <laughs> yeah but it hurt well like, yeah yeah not, it not was the hurting hype. yeah so um I did some dry needling uh to start with to kind of take the pain down a few notches and like we can talk about dry needling another time but like sometimes it really just like it's helpful um, and basically her shoulder didn't hurt. And then we went out and did some like rotator cuff strengthening stuff and like shoulder still didn't hurt. So it was like, all right, let's look at your cleans and the cleans got her. So we did the cleans and they hurt. And so we worked on cleans for literally like 10 minutes. It wasn't a long time. It was like, you know, she's a, she was a gymnast forever. So like good body awareness picks up on cues really easily. And we basically got it to the point of, you know, elbows high and outside bar needs to float up your body. You're not trying to yank it with your arms pain-free cleans went to crossfit that night to cleans with 95 pounds no pain Yay, hasn't had, yeah, hasn't had pain, pain with clean since has had pain with um snatches so visit two we looked at snatches it was the same issue of that like you know like kind of externally rotating it like mm-hmm. rotator cuffing it up um and so we just got the hips in sync with the upper body did elbows high enough so like really basic olympic lifting cues like i'm not an expert in olympic lifting i'm terrible at snatches but like Pretty basic things. It's probably how you snatch. It's just muscle it's, yeah, it's rotator cuffing it up. Straight, uh, like I, I get it to this point, then strict press it. That's, mm. that's how it goes. Um, but she, you know, and then and then snatches were pain free. So so that was pretty cool. Uh, and that's all that's all interesting. But I wanted to talk more about her past and what she has been told in regards to her Achilles tendon and her knee. So at one point she had incurred some damage to the the cartilage in the back of her kneecap falling. And so she went to physical therapy. She's been to physical therapy many, many times throughout her gymnastics career. And she was told not just by one physical therapist, I guess, but by a few different um, PTs in different sessions that like, hey, you've damaged the cartilage in the back of your knee. You can't squat with your knee past your toe or you're going to damage your knee more. And so coming in, like, and, and I only found this out at visit two when we went to do like a squat in order to work into a squat snatch because we didn't do squat cleans the first time. Uh... And I was like, just warm up your squat. And like, she couldn't get below parallel and was falling over backwards every time she squatted, like weight in her, weight in her heels, toes were popping up off the ground every time. And she couldn't control the down. Like she would go down. If I told her to stay there, she'd fall over backwards. It's like, what's happening here? And so we dug into it and she was told by multiple physical therapists not to let her knees go past her toes because she'll damage her knee. So that is a myth guys. Like, and it's, I don't know how it's still stuck around it. There was a study, um, Oh man, I'm getting the year wrong in 1978 or 1970 something. And it showed that when you let the, when you let the knee come, it's actually with flexion. So when you let your knee flex more, the deeper into flexion you get up to about 85, 90 degrees, the, um, patellar femoral compression forces increase. And so they max out at about 85 to 90 degrees, and then they don't increase more on the way down past parallel or p- with more knee flexion past, past about 90 degrees. Um, and in fact, the more, the more past 90 degrees you get, the more surface area you have of the kneecap touching the femur. And so there's more surface area with the same compressive force. And so it actually probably decreases the force per square inch um, or whatever that is um, on the kneecap cartilage. So... 
she was hitting that 85, 90 degrees. Like she was, it wasn't below parallel, but the, like the knee flexion was around 85, 90 degrees. And she was able to get to that. So she was already maxing out those patellofemoral compression forces there. And bringing the knee forward doesn't do anything special to the knee, except put you in more knee flexion, right? So your knee bends more when you let your knees come forward because you can squat deeper. You can't like sit back on your heels and squat down because you just fall over backward. Your weight has to be like in the midfoot. For her, I actually cued her to put all her weight in her toes and we got to about midfoot with that. Like mm. I told her like, this is not a good cue necessarily, but it is just a cue. I don't want you to squat on your toes, but like right now I want you to feel like all your weight's in your toes. And so it you're work. not all in your heels. Yeah. And then she like, could like squat till her butt touched the ground and it was fine. Wow. Um, and, and there, there was no pain, right? Like it, it didn't hurt. She wasn't shifting away from the leg. And so it's man, like a decade plus of fear of damaging the knee because a PT didn't bother to do their research. Multiple PTs didn't bother to actually figure out where this thing they're saying is coming from. And they told her this and it like actively decreased her function significantly to like, and she was afraid the whole time. And so, uh, so that was frustrating. But it's so common. Yeah. And so the other half of that too was that she said her ankle, um, wouldn't bend enough to allow her to bring her knee forward and because she hadn't tried it. So she does like have a massive scar tissue at her Achilles tendon. Like it's How'd she tear it? Um, gymnastics, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but like, it's, it's like, there's, there's like a bulge there, you know, like mm. it's, there's some repaired scar tissue, whatever there. Should we scrape um, it out or, probably or scrape uh, it, right? massage yeah. it out? Yeah. That's <laughs> totally how that works. Yeah. So at PT, she had gone through a lot of PT. Like I think, year plus of PT and they got her, they had her doing two up one down calf raises on the ground. So I had her try like After just straight up. Yeah. And she can't jump on that, that leg. Um, so we, we tried to jump and like when she does double unders, it's all on her good leg, on because her right it leg. Hurts or because she can't. It's just not strong. There's no rebound. It's not strong. Um, and so sometimes like the, the, the structure of the tendon might've changed. Right. But I'd also argue the structure of the tendon probably, this is one of the things that tendons do most likely adapt to is the stiffness and transmission of force, like tendons may not adapt real well. Uh, like if you have very severe tendinopathy, like, and it's, and there's like a hole in your tendon or whatever, like you may not fill that hole in, but they do change the stiffness and they change, um, how they can transmit force pretty quickly in regards to loading. And so that like springiness, the ability to bounce off that tendon and do jumping can, is something that can be trained and tendons do adapt to. And just nobody had bothered to even try with her. And so I had her do single leg calf raises off a deficit, which like is, is a pretty tough movement. She, she could do like 10 of them, Wow! but just never had, hadn't trained the calf. She had been told by those PTs, your calf will never be the same. Your tendon will never be the same. And you'll, you probably won't be able to jump on this and there's no use in trying. And they took that self-efficacy away from her. They took that locus of control away, told her it's not even worth trying. And they told her the same thing about her knee. And so for like, it's just like literally like this was within the space of 20 minutes we changed everything about her leg, right? Like there's, there's a way to get better. And, and, and it's all true, right? Like we can change everything about that leg. Like, will she be, will she be able to jump as high on that left leg? I don't know. We're going to try it. Like she'll be able to jump for sure. The tendon will adapt to it. Like it, it didn't hurt to squat. It didn't hurt to push the knee forward and squatting. It didn't hurt to do those like knees over toes lunges until we were on the ground. And then it hurt like minimally, you know? So the things we say matter, I guess is what I'm saying here. And it's there's a huge responsibility on people that are in charge of other people's health to like do your due due diligence and not 
fear monger. And like, I think there's enough, even if you don't like, if you're not someone that likes to sit there and read studies, I get it. Like that's probably okay, most no, people. You should definitely be educating yourself. You at this should. Point. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if you're going to air, like there's enough research and there's enough, like just how the body works at this point that you should err on the side of movement optimism instead of on the side of movement pessimism. Like don't tell people are going to hurt themselves if they do this because that's just not supported in any way. Tell people like you can do this, you can adapt to it. Let's try it, right? Don't tell them like your your Achilles tendon will never be the same again. You can't jump on that leg. Tell them, hey, let's try it and see what happens. There's no point in you trying. Hey, yeah. you're overweight and so you're going to be screwed for the rest of your life. There's no yeah. way you can ever lose weight again. Just don't even try. Yeah, all those all those studies showing that like like there is you know there's these large studies showing that people that lose weight like ninety percent of the time they gain it back. That doesn't mean you can't lose weight and keep it off. Right? It just means whatever strategies were tried on this broad scale didn't work. And so that all that means is that we need to look at that 10% that did keep it off and feel figure out what strategies there are and apply that and then like maybe everyone can, you know? It's not and it's not like I hope that her PTs or whoever told her this, like they weren't doing it for malintent. No. You know, they were doing it because they thought they were protecting her. Yeah. But at this point, like, why are we still having to tell people that those yeah. things are a myth? And it's like, we feel like we're just beating a dead horse, but I guarantee someone who's listening to this podcast is like, what? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. So I have people all the time who are like, what? I can do this? Yeah. And there's always like, and I probably came at that too aggressive and like, people are going to be like, ah, screw Nate. No, but like, no. We need to be aggressive. Yeah, but... There's, there's always like I've, I've done things that like I'm ashamed to look back on as a PT. Like, man, I've done ultrasound like multiple times in the clinic when I started. I, uh, I did like the TRA contractions for like six weeks with people. That's like, what we were taught. Yeah, and so it's and and like it took me, man, probably like a year and a half before I was like, let's try a Jefferson curl, like, and and would tell people like, hey, it's maybe okay to round your low back, and it's. So like I, I was I was there too, but all we can do is move forward and try and like be better as we go. Exactly. Like we're not saying that we're perfect <clears throat> and that we've yeah. always done things perfectly. We're saying that we constantly reflect and reevaluate our words, our language, our treatment strategies, the research, and we're always trying to improve. And if you're mm-hmm. not always trying to improve, you're in the wrong profession because this profession and what we know about exercise and movement and the human body is constantly evolving and like you need to evolve with it. I have a lot of questions. Yep. At what point, so you said you kind of dug into it with her Mm -hmm. to figure out like, why is she squatting this way? Like how Mm -hmm. did that happen? So she went to squat and I was like watching. I was like, this, this is weird. This is some weird squatting. And, um, (laughs) And I was like, can you go deeper than that? And she was like, I can't really without letting my knee come forward. Um, and I asked her, like, why Why don't you want your knee to go forward? And she said, the like, because they told me that it would damage my knee further, um, which she had actually told me at the initial okay. eval, and I didn't dig into it at that point because mm-hmm. I figured, like, a surgeon had said that or something. I was like, all right, we're looking at the shoulder. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I asked her, um, did like, did you decide that because you have tried it and it hurts or did they tell you that? And she was like, they told me that. And I was like, son of a bitch. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Um, and so then we like started talking about it and you know, it's, and just like what the forces do and that kind of stuff. And so it's, yeah, I, that's basically it. Okay, so. and then you were like, oh, you actually do have permission to do this. Let's try this. Yeah, and she literally tried it. just permission to move. And yeah. then it didn't hurt. Yeah. 
so their argument of like, so she she damaged some cartilage in an accident, right? Mm-hmm. Like an injury. Yeah. And then they told her, oh, well, now if you squat below parallel, mm-hmm. you'll damage it even more. Was that what damaged it in the first place? No, it's falling damaged it. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what about all the times she had squatted below parallel before that were okay, mm-hmm. but now are not okay? Because the PTs she, were seeing, she was seeing at some point got told that letting your knees go past your toe will damage the knee. And if you dig into it, there's research showing like there's a 23% increase in patellofemoral compression um, by, by hitting that parallel point. But like that, 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 and then we're going to get into this more later, but like the, you can't just say 23% increase in force by itself and have that be meaningful in any way, right? Like maybe the knee can tolerate a 10,000% increase in force. Maybe, maybe it can't, but maybe that 23% increase in force is enough to get a good training stimulus. Our body reacts to stress by adapting, right? Like stress is the language our cells speak. Oh, wow. That was so good. I'm going to type that. I think I stole that from someone. Stress um, is the language our cells speak. Yeah, like our muscles and our tendons respond to mechanical loading by creating cellular signaling that leads to like getting bigger and stronger or or if it's too much, then in like degenerative stuff where the tendon starts to become tendinopathy. But Why would our knees be designed in a manner to which muscles that inherently produce force cross the knee because when they produce force they make the knee move Mm -hmm. at what point do we think that that force is bad if our knees were designed to act this way like yeah who decided like oh whoever made us or however we evolutionized i don't even know however we grew they went too far, and we're actually yeah. not allowed to bend our knees in this way, yeah. guys. My, like, knee, my knee can do this, but it's going to break it if I do. Like, I know right? you can round your back, but, like, trust me on this. Like, whoever yeah. made us, like, they went wrong. Yeah. they We weren't supposed to have this much range of motion. I know your muscles produce force, and, like, that's literally their job. But too much force, 23%, mm, we're not really sure about it, so I just want you to be safe. Mm-hmm. But you can actually squat to right below that, or right above mm-hmm. that. But plot twist, that's where the most force occurs. So yeah, like, it doesn't increase below that, and it might decrease below that. So, Oh my god, it's, it's like so flawed that it's yeah. like it baffles me, but also I know that like we have to explain why, why it's so yeah. flawed. Like the amount, exactly, why is 23%... Why does that matter? Yeah. If we are supposed to be able to produce thousands of pounds of force, mm-hmm. why would 23% not like that is just, it doesn't matter. It's, yeah. it's nothing. Great. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That's like the it, 23% by itself in a vacuum is meaningless without the context of the situation. Like what's your training history? What is the joint capable of doing? Like, you know, it's, it has to be put in the context of what the joint can handle. You don't, you don't have like a, a bridge, like the Ravenel bridge and Say that, all right, we're going to drive 10 cars over it. That's going to increase the force by 10% on the bridge. Like, guess what? That thing's designed for, like, 10,000 cars. Who cares if 10 cars go over it? Boom. You know? And the bridge doesn't adapt to force over time. Yeah, so, it's not even the human body. Yeah, the bridge doesn't get stronger when things drive over it. We do. This just baffles me. Yeah, but it's it's because we, we have this professional history, and, like, not just PT, but the medical profession in general of kinesiophobia and, like, just fear of injury and fear of damaging things. And we think we know better than the human body 
basically. And like that biology is just too complex to predict things. You know, like we, there's actually a, if, if you guys don't listen to uh, stronger by sciences podcast, shout out. Cause they're, they're, they're awesome. just the best. Um, and I think it was, it was actually iron culture this week, but it's this group of guys that do strength and conditioning uh, research reviews. And they talk about it on the podcast and, um, they did a really good episode this week of uh, how we know what we know, basically, and digging into like Ooh. reasoning strategies and so like rationalization um, versus empiricism of like logical arguments versus like what the data actually shows. And you can explain almost anything with logical arguments, and it may or may not be true. And so you take a mechanistic thing like the cell does this, the cell increases protein synthesis, or or you you like you you squat with your knee past your toe and force increases and you can build rat logical arguments from there however you want to mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is when you actually get the data you can see that olympic lifters who squat with their butts on the ground and knees all over the freaking place have thicker knee cartilage than people who don't olympic lift right so the empirical data the actual data shows that this doesn't damage your knees and so you can't just like rationalize things. There, the biology is too complex. It's it's too complicated to go from this inc- the, this increases the force in my knee to this damages my knee. There's like ten intermediate steps yes. there, and we just don't know all the steps. And nobody is smart enough to to do that. Like there's nobody in the world that can do that. But we do have a study showing the Olympic lifters' cartilage is thicker. So you know, where, where do we go with that? Like I tend to go with that in a direction of you increase the force through the knee in a reasonable amount and your knee responds by getting stronger. And that lines up with how everything else in our body also adapts to stress. You know, It's like if, if you are going to make that jump, you can either make the jump that really prevents a lot of people from moving and makes people really fearful and you are probably contributing to a much bigger problem or you can make the jump of, I am just going to practice what science shows and give the freedom back to my patients. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were, we have to inherently make some sort of conclusion, but are you going to make the conclusion that actually maybe potentially damages your patient? Not mm-hmm. like physically, but just like doesn't give them the best outcome are you going to make the jump that does give them the best outcome and Mm -hmm. so much of what people view like what we do is like we try to get people to protect their bodies like why do we need protection from our own bodies Mm -hmm. or like oh i don't want to do this like you should protect your knees protect your back my knees don't need protecting and this is probably a separate podcast, but the fear of injury. Mm -hmm. Why is there such a big fear of pain and injury? And we're so unwilling to live an active lifestyle because we're afraid that one of those things might cause us a little bit of pain. Mm -hmm. And and then that's just like a whole talked about this with that, um, with Dr. Joe Tata actually, but like the way that our society has taught us through a lot of like, pharmaceutical commercials is if you have any symptoms that is really 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 wrong you mm-hmm. should you should do something about these symptoms it's, it's taught us to catastrophize anything yeah. that we feel like i move my arm and i it feels off i should freak out it's like you should be afraid you should protect mm-hmm. i think this is a good segue into shit my patient has been told yeah that was basically that whole thing anyway. exactly yeah um yeah go ahead and okay so recently i have seen and heard a lot from my patients about people telling them that forward neck posture is a really, really bad thing and that is going to 
lead them to either being paralyzed or they're going to have to have surgery because their resting posture, their neck is a little bit more forward. Side note, they can def- they can still get all like into all these other different positions, but multiple people have told me that their blank has told them that either their C- their cervical spine is reversed, so the curvature is reversed or there is no curvature and they have forward neck posture and or and that they need blank to prevent that from causing them pain or disability down the line. These people, so one of these people that never had neck pain, like any any of it. And yeah. orthodontists actually were the ones who told him that he was going to restrict his airflow. And like I don't really know a lot about orthodontics and all that stuff, but I do know that this person can get into all the different ranges that his neck like he can he has full everything. But because his natural resting posture is just to sit a little bit more forward, he came to us because he was like, I need help. And I couldn't really even figure out what he needed help with. And I'm not going to tell him, hey, you need to come see me because of this forward neck posture thing that you have because you're going to have pain and disability if you don't come see me. Because inherently, I mean, that's one big fat lie. There's nothing that predicts pain or disability And that was kind of the start of all this. And then I had another patient recently who, again, her blank told her that she has degenerative disc disease in her lower back. And eventually, if, if she keeps on the path that she's on, those discs will disappear. And that he has patients that don't have those discs that are in diapers. And if she doesn't come see him for blank treatment... She may end up disabled and also in diapers. Also, diapers. In diapers. So that we have that like, was the fear. So, we have like the neck is going to leave you paralyzed if you lean your head forward. And we have you're going to lose control over your bladder. Yes. Because you're having age related changes in your back. Exactly. And I'm like, oh my God. She also, she's like the most active person I've ever met. Like, so active, so about like health. And has always been this way and is terrified now Mm -hmm. because someone told her she had degenerative disc disease. First of all, it's not a disease. Mm -hmm. It is normal adaptive aging changes. She also had the whole, you know, my C-spine, blah, blah, blah. A few things go along with that. What position are you standing in when they take these x-rays? Because if you're standing in any sort of different posture than your x-rays at the end of your treatment... Already, those things are going to look the same again. Yeah. Like it's a snapshot. And we even learned in, in PT school, like you should do like the head forward head, like which which again, like you could argue we probably don't need to do them at all, but like you should do multiple positions for X-rays <laughs> if you're going to be using X-rays as a point of reference. And, and they um, shouldn't be used as a point of reference. Yeah, they shouldn't be. And so they told her that my that her cervical spine was not curved the way that it should be, and though and thus she needed. To come see him for blank treatment so that he could put her spine back in optimal alignment. She has full flexion, full extension, full everything, and was very scared. Like he she said, he really spooked me. And I and we had we had such a long discussion about it, and it's like we don't we know that these things we know that these things do not predict pain or disability. 
Also, as soon as you, as soon as like 97% of the population has these quote unquote findings on imaging, they're considered abnormal. If 97% of the population has these things, they are normal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the majority cannot have an abnormal finding that automatically makes it normal. Yeah. So why are if all of these people are seeing this doctor for the same thing and the doctor is saying all of this is wrong? Like how can you argue that all of those things are the cause of their pain when it's, everybody has it. everyone has yeah. them? 96% of pain-free 80-year-olds have disc degeneration. Like if you're 80 years old and you don't have back pain, you still got like quote unquote disc degeneration. Like it's it's there. You're it, um, you're unless you're the four out of 100 that don't. There's a cool study looking at uh, Air Force recruits. So like 18 year olds going into the like 18 to 23 year olds going into the Air Force, and um, they measured their uh, they, they took MRIs of their low backs and like looked at any quote unquote degenerative processes. And then kept track of them through their enlistment and then took MRIs at the end and compared that to their back pain. And there was no correlation between um, if they started with degeneration, if they developed it throughout the course of the the thing and back pain. But what there was a correlation with is if you had degenerate, quote unquote, again, degenerative processes at the beginning of your enlistment, they progressed. But that did not correlate with the back pain in any way. So there was no correlation to back pain. So these things progressed on their own. It looked worse on an MRI. And back pain didn't change according to that. And that's young people too, right? Let's, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's not, unless it, unless something on an image lines up with clinical symptoms, like, she hey, She doesn't my, have any symptoms. She has no back yeah, pain. exactly. So why do we care what it looks like on an MRI? That's like, the thing. She's like, well, you know, I just got like x-rays and mm-hmm. I'm like, for what reason? Like, yeah. what are we looking for? Yeah. Are we looking for a reason to now give you pain? We're you're... looking for a way to make money off of this person. Yes. And if, if the afraid. solution is you need to come see me for every week for the rest of your life, how is that a solution? Yeah. I, it's, no. Like, I mean, I at the end of the day, it's obviously their decision. You can... You're going to have to do something long term. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be active and do your own thing long term? not have to be fearful of your body, go to your spin class, go to your yoga class, work out with your trainer and have independence and control or long-term, do you want to go see this person every single week for the rest of your life because they told you that they will prevent this from becoming a problem for you. But because I'm telling you I, you have all of these issues, I'm also telling you that I'm the only person that can fix them and you have to come see me. I yep. mean, honestly, what a great way to sell something. Yeah, that's. I, I would argue that's a lot of medicine. You have the, a problem. I'm creating a problem. Yep. I am the only person that can fix it. Yep. You need me to fix it. And if you don't get it fixed, you're screwed. Yeah. You're paralyzed. You're in diapers. And especially because we know that, like we just talked about, that self-efficacy is such an important part of recovering from an actual injury or for, from recovering from pain. Like you're giving that efficacy to someone else when you, when you agree to see them for the rest of your life. Like they're they're This person is scaring you and they're taking that efficacy and giving themselves the locus of control over your health. And so then, yeah, maybe, maybe you do get pain relief out of going to them because they created this problem in the first place. You know, so. she asked me, she was like, why did it feel better after Yeah. Is she, okay. I'm just going to say it. she got an adjustment. Yeah. I think we all know what I've been saying. And she was like, why did it feel better after? And I was like, well, that there's so many reasons for that. Yeah. It does feel good. And there's yeah. value in that. Do you need that? Maybe not. Does it help you to be able to do all these things? 
were you disabled before? No, because you do things with tolerable pain before? Yes. So mm-hmm. it's up to you at that point of how do I, like, what do I want long term? Yeah. Like getting a massage, like if you're, if you're feeling totally fine, you get a massage, it still feels good, right? But it doesn't yeah. mean it's preventing any, same thing with any manual techniques that someone else, like where you're sitting there doing nothing and someone else is providing it is like, it feels good. Maybe, it, I mean, there's, there's a cool, uh, episode of a, of a dry needling podcast that's probably biased because it's a dry needling podcast mm-hmm. talking about like sharpening of of the somatosensory map of your body and your brain so like when you when you're in chronic pain your your map of your body kind of fuzzes out a little bit um and it starts like yeah things become smudging? less clear smudge yeah, general okay. smudging and like doing manual therapy can improve the the resolution of your body and your brain of that map of your body temporarily right and so like it does it feel better afterward? Yeah. Like might you have increased function for a little while? Yeah. But like you can do that by yourself with a foam roller with a lacrosse ball. You can do it by exercising. Exactly. Exercising does the say. same thing. You know, it does so, the same exact thing and it actually yeah. has long term benefits. Exercising, movement. Yeah. Is there anything, uh, any shit your patients have been told? <sighs> Man, so I've had Well the knees over toes thing. Yeah, yeah, I had a guy last week come in who um has had hip pain for a few years and he went in and got uh, x-rays and they told him, hey, your hip is bone on bone. You have, um, I think it was a cam impingement and you need a hip replacement because you're bone on bone and you can't get out of pain when it's bone on bone. And so he got a cortisone shot and it helped for a little bit and then he got, um, I can't remember the actual brand, but he got a hyaluronic acid shot, which helped for 90 days, which is not how long hyaluronic acid stays in your joint for after how getting long a shot. How uh, I not, I don't know. It's constantly replenished by your, by your like, mm-hmm. uh, by your joint. Um, as you age, you produce less of it. Mm-hmm. So he, he got that and was pain free for three months and then did a yoga class and his hip flared back up and went back to the surgeon and the surgeon said like, okay, it's still bone on bone. You need two different surgeons said this. You need a hip replacement because it's, it's bone, still on bone. bone on bone, still bone because on bone. we thought it yeah. wouldn't be bone on bone. But like you take a step back and what made his hip angry is doing an activity that he was not prepared for, right? He overloaded the physical stress through the hip. He did a really hard yoga class. He knew 20 minutes in, this is not good. He Mm -hmm. kept doing it. You know, like that's no different than if I was like bench pressing my max weight and decided to do 50 singles with, with my one rep max. And like my, my, yeah, I know. Right. My shoulder starts hurting five reps in and I'm like, ah, I can do 45 more. And then I end up like biceps tendinopathy. It's not different. But because he got an x-ray and the surgeon wants to do a hip replacement, it's bone on bone. And so basically that took the locus of control entirely away from him. And he's, you know, he came in and he told me like, hey, I, I wasn't even really sure what he wanted at that point. Because mm-hmm. like he came and was like, I'm getting a hip replacement, but I want you to check it out pre-surgery and see what like my range of motion and stuff is. And so I was like, I, I can do that, but like I'm going to, we're going to talk about pain and where it comes from and all this stuff. And in this, talking about dry needling again, I know you judge me. You judge me. Hannah. Me? I'm not judging you. Yeah. No, I know you don't. Um, I judge myself. But <laughs> That's where it comes from. It's not me. Yeah. So, like, almost use the dry needling a little bit um, diagnostically in this one in that, like, he had very pinpoint hip flexor pain. Like, just hip flexor pain. Pain in the front of the hip. That was it. But it was a lot. And so, like, all right, if we needle that, 
and your pain goes away, we didn't change your joint. Like, the yep. needles don't do anything really locally. Like, this is purely neuro neural, right? Mm-hmm. And so we did it, and he slept through the night with no pain. Um, like, the hip didn't hurt. Like, he was able to do all the exercises. Came back in the next week with back pain because we did a little too much. Um, that's my fault. Monster walks, man. For the first time ever, I hurt someone with monster wow. walks. <laughs> yeah. But I think he just, like, was very deconditioned. Um, and, like, and I've, and I've had that experience before, too. So way back when I, before I worked at Made to Move, I had a patient come in with, uh, and they told her she needed a knee replacement. And she was an avid hiker, like, 20-plus miles of hiking per week. She was, like, 60. Um, and just had a lot of knee pain at that point. And they told her, like, hey, you need a knee replacement um, you have very severe arthritis in your knee. It's bone on bone. And I needled it and we did some exercises and literally one session and like talked to her about pain science mm-hmm. and one session and she didn't have pain. And we contacted her like six months later, still didn't have pain, was back to hiking. Like she, had had hiking. No, she might've at this point, I've been like so five she was, years. She was bone on bone she was this bone whole bone. time. Yes. Huh. Yeah. So if you like suddenly develop pain, that's not because of your arthritis. Like you don't suddenly develop arthritis. That's mm-hmm. that's those age-related changes, right? Like you don't suddenly turn 50 yeah. from 25. Yeah. And if you were able to give this person a cortisone shot, whatever, hyaluronic acid. I can't believe yeah. I can't say that out loud. Hyaluronic acid and mm-hmm. dry, needle it, dry needled them and they felt better. You changed nothing about their anatomy yep. and their pain changed. Logically, now we can assume that their pain was not 100% related to their anatomy in the first place. Yeah. And now you put this this person under the knife and you cause a lot of trauma. Yeah. And now they might even have worse outcomes. Yeah. And, and like, people don't get sent to physical therapy after hip replacements for some reason. What? So like, yeah, it's not a... For some reason, it's, like, a very rare thing. Because um, they can walk, but, like, you just cut through the glute or you cut through, like, TFL or whatever you cut through, depending on the approach. And, like... They probably should be in physical therapy. It just doesn't hurt anymore, so they don't worry about it. Anyone who has a surgery of any kind, yeah. I obviously am biased, but I feel that you should go, or an injury, to sur- to physical therapy. Like, mm-hmm. I have a patient who, his hip and his back, his back has hurt for years, but now his hip is starting to hurt. A, a few months ago, he broke his big toe mm-hmm. moving, and so he, they gave him a boot to, because it was like all the way down to the bone. Um... It, no, it wasn't. Sorry, he didn't break his bone, but they were worried about an infection. So they mm-hmm. put him in a boot, which raised his leg significantly, mm-hmm. and he wasn't allowed to put weight on his leg. So now for months, this man changes the way that he walks. Mm-hmm. And he had already had back pain in a very similar area. Now he has a lot of hip pain, and so it's like, what if we had addressed this in the beginning mm-hmm. to where this guy wasn't doing months and months of something that was brand new to his body that he couldn't handle at all? It's just like any surgery. Like you cut open someone's hip and you cause all this damage and trauma and you, you don't, you just, you're like, you're good to go. Yeah. You want to see some like, you want to see some gnarly stuff. Like I've sat in on hip replacements and like they're on YouTube. Um, like it's, it is not a gentle surgery. It's like, it's a construction site. It's like sledgehammers and, and like buzz saws and it's it's nuts like they're sitting there with a the hammer just like bam 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 I can bam. change someone's tissue yeah. with my hands yeah yet I need hammers and carpentry yeah to actually change it that's it's just there is a big messed up there yeah 
go, I don't even think I explain. I don't even know if we need to explain the whole like the argument against why forward neck posture is the devil. And I, yeah, I think it's the same argument that you shouldn't round your spine. For some reason, there's this belief out there that because our spines, in some pictures, are in this S curve. And yes, like at, I don't even what even is neutral. I don't even know. Nobody knows. Yeah, our spines are often depicted in this quote-unquote neutral posture and there is a belief that if you stray from that neutral posture or place quote-unquote too much load in unneutral postures that is bad for you and you are damaging yourself and so mm-hmm. there's an argument that the load of your head is enough to cause damage to your spine when you bend it forward the more you bend it forward the worse it gets and that because this is really bad, you should spend all of your time in a neutral spine. And if you don't, then you should be fixed and getting adjustments fixes this. And like Mm -hmm. I even saying that, like just you have, there's so many leaps and bounds. Yeah. Like we're, we're starting out with like, we don't know what neutral really is. And it's going to be different for every person. Like we were talking about the loss of cervical lordosis or like reverse curvature and stuff. And there's a, there's a cool narrative review from, um, 2017, uh, Lippa and Lippa and Cacciola, I don't know their names. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and so they, basically they, they synthesized the evidence and they couldn't do a systematic review or a, um, a meta-analysis because there's not enough evidence to do that. So they just had to like do a narrative review where they just talk about the studies because there's not enough actual research to do a meta-analysis on. It's like a red flag. And so, yeah, and so basically what they came to is like, we, we don't have enough evidence to say that loss of cervical curvature can impact pain in any way like there's just not the research there um and and it's different for every single person right and so we're already like what is neutral and neutral i've heard people say neutral is a range like ah that's just moving the the goalposts like neutral neutral is not a thing right um is neutral just the position that when you stand you feel most comfortable in I guess that's what it is. And does that mean you shouldn't go into any other ranges that your body was naturally meant to move into? Like if your spine was made segmentally and you have all of these discs and all of these cool structures designed for you to be able to use it, why is it that there's a certain amount of load that can be placed? Mm -hmm. Again, it's the whole like forces argument that there is force that is placed Mm -hmm. and that that force is too much. It's taken completely out of context. Yeah, and then so then we move on to like what it lost like what is neutral we don't know. Neutral is probably not a thing. So then like you were saying like there's force there's maybe increased force on some tissues when your head is forward. There's always force on your body. We live on a planet that has gravity. Like uh-huh. when astronauts go into outer space, they lose all their muscle mass, they lose bone density rapidly. Like we need that force. It is real important. Um and so we're, we're assuming, again, just like the knee thing, right, 23% increase in, in patellofemoral compression forces. You move your head forward, your head probably is putting more stress through, like, your upper traps and other cervical extensors. But what are those capable of? Like, look how freaking big your trap muscle is for most yeah, people, yeah. like, especially Hannah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop. Um, like, how much force do you need in order to to actively create enough that you can't adapt to it. Right. And so we don't know what that answer is either, but it's probably hundreds of pounds of force. Like that's like saying you have this big coffee cup mm -hmm. that can hold 10 ounces of water. And you're like, but when you're doing that, you're putting one ounce of water in it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Great. Awesome. Amazing. I can handle 10 ounces. You're going from like two ounces to three ounces. It's not overflowing. Like it can handle a lot more. 
That's I like that. That's good. It's just another, right, another cup analogy. Right in front. Yeah. Ooh, a different version. Shout out Greg Lehman. Uh, is he the one who created that? I'm pretty sure he is. Wow. Yeah, he's he's good. If anybody wants to learn things, Greg, Greg Lehman. Lehman. Yeah, L E H Lehman. Yeah. Um, and then I forget where we're going with that. So force, uh, and th- yeah, and then we have to. We're assuming that those forces damage mm-hmm. the spine, and then we're assuming that the changes those forces cause result in pain, um, instead of adaptation, right? And so. I, I, I don't know a lot about like things looking at adaptation of the cervical spine because I think people are too afraid to train it in the literature. Like nobody wants to make you do like neck curls, which they totally should. We should do that. Wow. Um, but like looking at low back posture, right? So there's a cool study looking at endurance cyclists and they're in a flexed position. Their back is rounded for hours and hours at a time, multiple times a week, endurance cyclists. And they took MRIs of their spines, and it's just a cross-sectional study, so it's not pre- and post-intervention, but it showed that they have less, quote-unquote, degenerative processes. They have better disc height, better disc composition than people who don't aren't in that posture for a long time. And so you adapt to the posture that you're in. If you like, if you look at your cell phone all day long with your head forward, you're probably, your traps are probably going to get stronger. Like is probably what's going to happen there. And, and is there a limit to it? Like, yeah, there's a limit to anything in your body that we can adapt to. If you, if you like put a 400 pound weight on a, on a thing and then strap it to your forehead and you sit there with your neck forward with 400 pounds hanging off, probably going to hurt yourself. Right. Unless you work up to it. But any position you're in, any posture you're in is creating load through some tissues and the tissues are probably going to adapt to that and there's no one posture that's better than any other. And when it starts to become irritating to those tissues, you're going to move anyway. Like people shift. It starts to be like, hey, my neck kind of feels uncomfortable and you lean back. If you sit upright with like perfect military posture, you're going to get just as uncomfortable, if not more so it's than if you're so uncomfortable. Yeah, super uncomfortable. That's why no one does it. Exactly. Because they're like, you should be sitting in this posture all day long yeah, because it's suffer. neutral and therefore it's easy for your body. No, there is a always an amount of load of muscle tension that is going on when you are in any position because that is how muscles work. Muscles control where your bones are in space. I'm mm-hmm. sitting up very upright right now and honestly it is exhausting Mm -hmm. and so when i'm sitting in my stool across from a patient who is telling me that their posture has been they've been told that their posture is the cause of their pain or they think that and i'm literally sitting there like a shrimp (laughs) like i am bent forward i am like typing like the hunchback of notre dame and they're like my posture is bad and i'm like looking at myself and i'm like that is that that's what we think it is. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, look, you can move into a lot of other different postures. What even is posture? Yeah. And like, here's the thing too, is like people, like medical professionals and like personal trainers and, and everybody likes to be like, look at someone and look at their posture and be like, ah, stand upright, you know, and like get those little like, Doing oh, something better yeah, for I'm you. Yeah, so, I'm so observant and smart. I'm going to tell you to stand you upright. stand upright. When you're... Like the point of education is to understand nuance, right? Like you don't go to PT school and get a doctorate so you can like make split judgment decisions on like, oh, you're leaning over forward with your head. You shouldn't do that. No, you go, whoa, voice is cracking. Puberty. It's okay. Um, we'll be done soon. Super ranty today. Sorry. Um, yeah, we're pissed. But like, when, like you need to understand the nuance and that's why you have a doctorate is to figure out the – read it in between the lines and be like, when is this – when like when when does this matter? When does this not matter? What's the context of the situation? It's not to make snap judgments. Well, everything is so nuanced. Like yeah. the person in front of you is extremely different, and there are so many different factors. But we're like, oh, 
you sat on your couch with forward neck posture. That's definitely why you have pain. Like, no, you're just being lazy at this point. If mm-hmm. that's the reason you're giving someone, not that you're, you should even be giving someone one reason because there's a million different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that people can understand what we're saying. Yeah, we'll we'll listen to it, and I feel like we we covered thing as well. I feel like I'm just um, getting to the point where I, I'm just getting like angry about a lot of things <laughs> and honestly like I'm okay with it. I think we need to be a little like louder about like the right yeah, message. And straight Adam Meekin style on Stirred. I love Adam Meekins. It's yeah. been, I mean that's what like the people that we follow are like the passionate people that have been like yeah. not like oh well maybe it's that way but I don't want to make anyone mad. It's like no you're doing it wrong. It is this way and you know, there's always a fine line there. Like, being Switzerland definitely has its perks, but mm-hmm. not when it gets to the point where we're, like, letting people tell us that posture is actually a predictor and, like, all mm-hmm. of these things when we when we know the right answers. Um, we also always want to talk about way too much, and I have a patient all in right. a few minutes. But we didn't get to talk about Matt Fraser. Oh, man, we'll talk about Matt Fraser next time. Let's lead with that next time. Okay. Because then the Open will be over and everybody will be like, what did I just do to myself? Great. Yeah. We can do it like mid-open. Okay, let's have a summary. Okay, so right. patient stories. Yep. Um, people did. People. Patients did good. Obviously, we're amazing. Obviously, we're the best. Yeah, nobody's better. Um, we are... <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Um, we are pissy. We are upset with the things that certain people have told certain other people. Yeah. We're There's... upset with, with, with words that actively damage patients. Like actively yes. damage other people in order to make money off of it, and that's not okay. That's that's a no. I feel like that's not even a moral gray area. That's a moral black area. Like that's, shouldn't do that, right? Knees over your toes. You can do that. You can round your neck. Forward neck posture and tex neck is. I don't even know what how to summarize that. What is it? Bologna? I think it's baloney. It's stupid that it's called text neck. Like, people just get neck pain sometimes, just like any other body part. The text neck. The good old yeah. text neck. Yeah. I've, is that it? Do we have any other summaries? I think that's, that's pretty much it. Well, if you're listening to this and you're like, I have no idea what Nate and Hannah just said for the last hour, uh, let us know and we will try to clarify. But yeah. uh, we got to go. So, thanks cool. for listening, everyone. See you guys. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. Find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.